Well, here we are. We're coming right down to the final portion of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we'll actually finish up Colossians in our next study. But we're looking at just these four verses today. And this is really the conclusion of the practical application portion of this letter. Remember, we looked at um, life in the community of God. We looked at how the church is to look and feel when we are gathered together collectively. And then we looked at um, what Christians are to be like in the context of the marital relationship, in the context of family relationships. We looked at uh, the Christian in the workplace. We looked at both the employee and the employer. And now, here today, Paul is giving us some final words on the church's mission of bringing the gospel. And remember, the gospel is the message of reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus. And we have been commissioned, we have been given this as our mission to bring this gospel to a dark, dying, and desperately needy world. So think about this. We Christians, the church collectively, we have the answers to the world's problems. Isn't that amazing? But we do. We have the answers to the world's problems. The world's problems, you see, are just an expanded version of people's problems. The problems in the world are due to the conflicts that people have with one another and that uh, just, you know, it can, it can be on a relatively small scale, you know, just one person against another, but it can go all the way to people groups and it can go to nations and it can go to, into war and things like that. So, so let's never forget that we, the church, we have the answer because the gospel fixes people. That's what it does. The gospel fixes people by putting us into a right relationship with God. That's the very thing that we were created for. It um, fixes us by breaking the power of sin over our lives and by giving us a new nature. And that new nature is none other than, than God's nature. God takes up residence in us. He dwells in us by the spirit. So that's how God fixes us. He brings us to himself and he places his life within us. And when we get fixed and other people around us get fixed, and as far out as that spreads, the more people there are that get fixed, then society gets fixed. Culture changes and the world potentially can change. And so the gospel is the means through which God does this work of repairing. And so the world needs the gospel. We, the church, have the gospel. So the question is, how do we transfer the gospel to the world? And in the passage that we read together, the passage that Cheryl read for us, um, we see that there, Paul, Paul lays out here basically three ways that 
We transfer the gospel to the world. Number one, we pray for the gospel to go forth through the messengers of the gospel. Secondly, we conduct ourselves wisely among those who are outside, those who are not yet part of the kingdom. And then thirdly, we speak graciously and truthfully to those outside when the opportunities arise. So we're gonna look at those three things together here today. So beginning with Paul's words in verse two, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Continue earnestly in prayer. Another translation reads, devote yourselves to prayer. And we, we've talked about prayer many, many times before. Of course, this is something as Christians that we learn from the earliest stages of our Christian life, um, that we have this wonderful privilege of prayer. We have this opportunity to pray. We also need to remember that we have an obligation to pray. But let's think about prayer for a moment in um, just the privilege that we have of prayer. And, and so when Paul says, give yourselves uh, continually to prayer or continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, the word vigilant, vigilant means to, um, to, to be alert, to watch. And so as Paul is saying these things, he's really talking about this is to be the posture of the church. The church is just to live you know, you know what your posture is. Your posture, a lot of times it can have a reference to your physical posture. Um, you know, you stand a certain way. Uh, your, uh, when I was younger, you know, sometimes my uh, mother would say to me, um, your, your shoulders are, um, you know, um, you, you need to stand up straight. Um, you're, you're slouching. Um, and, you know, I think my teachers did that more than my mom did, actually. But it was, you know, it was an effort to uh, adjust my posture. And so the, your posture is the way you stand. It's, the, it's just kind of the way you are. Well, for Christians, for the church, for us, our posture is to be one of prayer. That, that we, just as naturally as, as we would, you know, stand in a certain way, that we would pray that that would be something that would be a constant in our lives. And so the idea is that we're always praying and we are praying about everything. And as he said, being vigilant, we're watching and we're being alert for things to pray about. You know, th there are times when it's very clear what we should pray about. Uh, there are times when it's not as clear. There are times when we might not even sometimes for whatever reason, have a clue. You know, sometimes, although I know the, the reality is there are many, many things, probably more things that I could pray about than I could even count, but sometimes I find myself uh, with a mental blank and I think, well, you know, what am I, what, you know, I, I wanna pray, I have some time to pray. As a matter of fact, I had this experience um, just a couple of days ago. I like to use um, my time for running. I, I go out and do a run on a pretty regular basis. And I use that as a prayer time because it's a one time when I am just sort of away from every distraction. So I remember the other morning I went out and as I started off my run, 
I said to the Lord, Lord, I really want to pray, but I, I, I mean, it was just one of those moments because I had prayed about a number of things through earlier in the week, so I didn't want to just repeat myself. So it was one of those moments where I was like, Lord, um, you know, I don't know what to pray about. So would you put things on my heart that you would have me to pray about? So I ran, uh, you know, a distance. I, I kind of went to the halfway point of um, where, where I was running to, and, and suddenly I began to have some thoughts about, oh, I need to pray for this and I need to pray for this person. And it, was, it ended up being a wonderful time. As a matter of fact, one of the people that I prayed for on the run, uh, I ended up having a conversation with them shortly after about all the things that I was praying about them for. And it was one of those things that I didn't even know that those things were going on, but then I prayed about them and then I spoke to her and she confirmed that that was actually what was happening uh, in her life at the moment. So I'm just giving an example of how the spirit will prompt us to pray. And like I said, I do it when I'm out on my jogs because that's a time where I can uh, be without distraction. But what Paul is talking about, not just here, but in many of his letters, is that we would, again, we would just develop this posture of prayer where we would just pray. It would just be what we do. It's the thing that we as Christians do. But then he adds this. He says, um, being earnest in prayer, being vigilant in it. But then he adds with thanksgiving as he so often does. And I think you know, when we pray, we are thanking the Lord. As, as part of our prayer, uh, you know, we're thanking the Lord for his goodness. We're thanking God for what he's done. I know oftentimes I find myself doing that because I'll, I'll be praying for certain things. Um, and again, <laughs> I don't want to belabor the point. I'm not trying to talk about my own personal um, experience with running here, but it's, it's relevant because um, I, I have run the same path for about 10 years. So in running this path for about 10 years, I have prayed for a lot of things over this 10-year period. And so what I do now quite often is as I'm running and as I'm at a certain point, um, I will just remember things that I prayed about in the past and things that God has answered. And so I will find myself thanking God. Lord, I thank you for the prayers that have been answered um, in the past. And that will just then prompt me to also thank the Lord for the way he's going to answer prayer in the future because he's answered prayer in the past and I've got the evidence of it. I remember these days or months, you know, where I would pray the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And then finally, boom, there was a breakthrough. So as I'm going along today, I'm praying with thanksgiving. I'm thanking him for what he's done in the past and I'm also thanking him for what he is yet to do. So that, again, our posture, that's the, the general picture here is as we just continue earnestly in prayer. But now Paul gets very specific in his request. And this really takes us to the first point that I mentioned earlier, praying for the gospel to go forth through the messengers of the gospel. So look at verse three. He says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word 
to speak the mystery in Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest or that I may make it known as I ought to speak. And so pray for us, Paul says. Paul is asking prayer for himself and those who are his co-laborers. And I think this is something that is really important for us to understand. And, and I want us to think of it in the context of, of the body uh, because you know there are certain people within the body of Christ. I was reading in uh, 1 Corinthians today <coughs> and uh, Paul speaks about the body being made up of different parts. And he speaks of the, uh, you know, part of the body, of course, being the mouth and speech and so forth. And, and there are those that God has placed in the body who he has called to be the mouthpiece in a sense. He's called to be the spokesman. But if you think of it just in the, uh, you know, just looking at the body itself, here I am, I'm speaking to you right now. But as you can see, my whole body is involved in what I'm doing. So my hands are moving a little bit and of course my brain is working and I'm thinking and my, uh, I'm able to you know, art- articulate, form the words, uh, my vocal cords, my tongue, all, all of these things, they're all working together for the message to go out. And, but now transfer that picture over to the church. So the church is made up of all kinds of people, but not everyone in the church is the mouthpiece. But for those that are, we need the support of the rest of the body to be able to do what we do. And that's where prayer comes in. And that's what Paul is asking for. He says, pray for us, the messengers of the gospel, those who speak the word, that God would open to us a door. That's the prayer. Pray that God would open to us a door. The effort to get the gospel to people is one that we cannot accomplish on our own. I can't accomplish it on my own. I need the assistance of the rest of the body. I need the prayers of the body. But of course, we're praying to the Lord because we can't accomplish this apart from God himself opening a door. We need the Lord to go before us and to open doors. You know, this, this past week, earlier in the week, I was reading through the gospel of Luke in my morning reading. And I was in the fifth chapter and I, I read the story. I'm very familiar with this story, but I read again that story where uh, Jesus is there. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's being pressed by this, this great crowd of people. So he gets into one of the little boats, uh, the boat that happened to belong to Simon Peter. And there he's teaching from uh, the sitting in the boat. Uh, then people are gathered on the shore, this, this vast crowd. And at the end of the teaching, Jesus says to Simon and the other disciples, he says, he says go out into the deep and cast, uh, throw out your net for a catch. And Peter said, Lord, (laughs) we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. And, you know, of course, Peter is a lifelong fisherman. This has been his entire life on this particular lake. He knows it like the back of his hand. Uh, Jesus is not really a fisherman. Uh, We know he, he was a carpenter. Of course, we know he's the son of God as well, but Peter didn't quite realize that at the time. But anyway, Peter finally 
uh, he gives in and he says, okay, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. So they go out into the deep, they throw out the net, and what happens? They, they end up with a haul of fish that is so great that the nets are breaking. And Peter realizes at this moment that there's something more to Jesus than meets the eye. So when he gets back to the shore and he encounters the Lord, it says that Peter fell down at the knees of Jesus and he said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus said this, he said, do not be afraid, Simon, for from now on, you will catch men. Now, this is something that Jesus called those apostles to. He called them to be fishers of men. He called them to catch men. So as I read that story, and I was thinking about myself, and I was thinking about those other men who co-labor alongside of me here, and I was just thinking about, you know, church leaders and ministers of the gospel all around, and I was thinking, Lord, all of us want to catch we want to catch men. We want to see the nets filled. And, and yet it just seems like uh, we're fishing all night and we're not catching anything. And you know, it just suddenly struck me that Jesus did something miraculous. There was something supernatural that happened here. Uh, as Peter said, they fished all night, didn't catch anything. How did they suddenly catch this great um, school of fish? Well, Jesus did something supernaturally to bring them there. And it just got me to, to start thinking about um, the scriptures and, and the story that unfolds from the gospels to the book of Acts, how the Lord went before the apostles. He sent them out into the world to preach the gospel to everyone, but he went before them doing the very thing that Paul is asking for prayer for. He went before them opening doors. So think about the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Uh, remember, uh, there's this multitude of people that are in Jerusalem because of the feast and the spirit is poured out and the apostles are baptized in the spirit and they go out and they begin to praise the Lord and a crowd gathers together and they preach and 3000 souls were added to the church that very day. But you see, there was a supernatural component there. God did something. He poured out his spirit on the apostles. He assembled the people there in Jerusalem with open hearts who were ready to receive. He opened a door. And as you follow the story through the book of Acts, whether it's Peter going to, uh, well, back up a little bit, whether it's Philip going to Samaria or Peter going to the house of Cornelius or Paul and Barnabas going to the various Gentile cities, um, you find that God is at work. And all of that to say, that's what we long for and that's what we should be praying for today praying that God will open a door. That's what Paul prayed for. He said, pray that the Lord will open a door for the word. And then, so, so Paul is uh, saying, you know, pray, pray that God will prepare the soil, open the door, bring the people, however you want to look at it. Uh, that's the one part of it. But then he says, and pray for me that I may make the gospel known, or you could translate it as another translation does, uh, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
You see, and that's the prayer for, uh, for us, the servants of God. Those who have been given that p- particular calling to be uh, the, the mouthpiece, so to speak, to proclaim the word. We need, just like we need the Lord to open a door, we need him to move among those outside to prepare their hearts, to create the, the environment, the opportunity. We need him to do all of that, but we also need him once that everybody's assembled, we need him to then empower us so we can proclaim clearly the word. And so as I'm sharing this with you, I am asking you and inviting you and showing you from scripture that this is how we all work together for the furtherance of the gospel. I myself and our other Uh, pastoral staff, the guys who have that same gift to teach and preach, and and not just here at our local church, but of course, beyond this, uh, all of those who have that gift, that the body of Christ, the people of God, who might not have that specific calling, but yet know that part of their calling is to pray for the opportunity and then the empowering to bring the word clearly as we should. And so this is how the whole body works together to further the gospel. And so the first thing we see as we're talking once again, and I've entitled the message today, transferring the gospel from church to culture. So we've got the gospel, it's here among us. We have a responsibility, we have a calling to get it out from here, out into the larger culture. And so we start with prayer as we see. Secondly, here as we go on and we look at the uh, fifth verse, um, Paul now says to everyone, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom. The NIV, that verse reads like this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Boy, I'll tell you, today we need wisdom in navigating this current cultural moment that we're in. We really need the wisdom of God as we seek to relate to outsiders. And and I can't think of a better way to elaborate on what Paul is saying here than to quote from the book of James. As I was looking over this and I was thinking about wisdom, I was thinking, uh, suddenly it just came to my mind, oh, that that beautiful passage in James, uh, the third chapter that, that speaks to us about wisdom and what what the wisdom from above or what heavenly wisdom really looks like. And when we think of what Paul is saying here, walk in wisdom, this is the kind of thing that he's talking about. But let me say this, James in chapter three, he speaks of two kinds of wisdom. And remember, James is speaking to Christians and he's speaking to two kinds, he's speaking to Christians and he's saying there's, when it comes to wisdom, there's two possibilities. He says that there is one type of wisdom that has beneath the surface bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition. He calls it a wisdom. 
It's a way of uh, navigating life. It's a way of, uh, you know, try, trying to uh, be a Christian, but it, it's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. He says that this wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. So he's warning about a, a pseudo kind of a wisdom that can creep into the church. And just to give you an idea of what he might be talking about, you think of um, Paul's writings to the Corinthians. And remember the Corinthians were, they were all caught up in Sophia. They were caught up in, in the Greek idea of wisdom and what that looked like and what that sounded like. And there was a lot of pride. There was a lot of arrogance. It caused a lot of division. And it had people jockeying for position because of their ambition. And they wanted to be the best speaker in the church or the most famous leader. So that's the kind of thing that Paul's actually um, saying <laughs> that, that we're not to be involved in. James elaborates on it. But then James goes on and he contrasts that wisdom that is earthly, natural, and demonic. And he says this, the wisdom that is from above or the heavenly wisdom. And this is what Paul means when he says walk in wisdom. He says is first pure, then peace loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere or genuine or non-hypocritical. You see, that's the wisdom that Paul says we are to walk in toward those who are outside. Let's read it again. It's pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle, it's compliant, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it is impartial, it is sincere, it is genuine. You know, I think of a couple of words stand out here to me. I think of peace-loving. You know, the, the person who's walking in wisdom is gonna be a peacemaker. They're gonna want to uh, bring peace into uh, situations where there's contention and strife. They're not gonna add to that. They're going to actually, um, they're, they're going to bring a solution into that. But he speaks of them also being gentle and speaks of them as being compliant. And so th this is a wisdom. It's, it's not this aggressive, in-your-face kind of a thing that sometimes we're seeing displayed among Christians today. But no, there's a gentleness to it. And, and there's a compliance. There's a willingness. The word compliant is also translated actually in, um, in I think, uh, the New King James Version, which I'm using, uh, it's, it's translated uh, willing to yield. And so it's one of those things as we walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, there are times when we need to yield. There are times when we need to, um, you know, not try to force our point or something like that. So that's what he's talking about. And we are to walk in wisdom, redeeming the time or... In other words, making the most of every opportunity. So every opportunity that we have uh, in regard to those who are outside, whether it's people that we work with or people that we live in the same neighborhood as or people that we just happen to you know, know from whatever else we're doing out 
in our communities or even sometimes a complete stranger that we just meet while we're traveling or something like that, uh, that there is to, um, there's opportunities there and, and we need to walk in wisdom and make the best of those opportunities. And then he goes on and he says, let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech always be with grace or let your speech always be gracious is another way that we could um, understand this word. And I want you to think about gracious. Graciousness um, or the word gracious when you, when you even hear the word gracious, the dictionary definition is marked by kindness and courtesy. That's the definition. A gracious person is a person who is marked by kindness and courtesy. You know, this is kind of going back to what I was saying a moment ago, but you know, one way we show courtesy to people, and, and I think this is really important when we're talking about, remember, we're, we're talking about um, people who are outside the faith, people who are outside the church. And the objective is we're trying to get the gospel to them. Um, and so we are to uh, be gracious. We are to be courteous. And one way to show courtesy is by listening. See, sometimes we're so over taken with the idea that we have to get our point across, that we have to make sure that they understand that, that we are right, that we miss some of these uh, nuanced but very important things, listening. And, and again, going back to James, in James chapter one, verses 19 and 20, listen to what it says. It says, everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And, and I have to say that in this moment that we're living in, um, I'm wondering, are we, uh, is our speech with grace? Are we really, as God's people in relation to those outside, are we showing kindness? Are we showing courtesy? Are, are, we, are we more quick to listen or are we um, more quick to, to speak? And I think that what we're seeing a lot in our current moment is we're seeing people who are not really wanting to listen and they want to speak and then as a result of this, there's an anger that develops and somehow there's a misguided idea that this anger, some would even say, well, it's a righteous anger, uh, is somehow gonna produce um, what God is desiring. And uh, James tells us flat out that it won't. This does not produce the righteousness that God desires. My anger, my insistence, my debating and arguing and coming down and uh, being critical and all of that, uh, that's not how the gospel advances. That's not how the kingdom is moved forward. Let everyone be uh, swift to hear, 
swift to listen, slow to speak. And so again, let your speech always be with grace. And I want you to just notice that word, always. Let your speech always be with grace. There's not a time to become angry, to become um, aggressive uh, verbally. There's not a time to try to shout the other person down or revert to uh, you know, calling names or, or, or things like that. We, we are not to do that as the people of God. You know, of course, I live in the state of California. We've been in some form of lockdown now for several, several months. Uh, our governor is the one who's making a lot of these decisions. And um, there are many people that are unhappy with the decisions that he's made. And um, I see even some Christian leaders uh, taking a posture toward the governor that is completely the opposite of everything we're talking about. And instead of being gentle, instead of being courteous, instead of being compliant, instead of being patient, uh, there's kind of a rage. And there's even, I've even seen some pastors um, who have, you know, publicly uh, used uh, derogatory terms in, in referring to uh, the governor. And, you know, this, this is, I mean, it's understandable if we are people who are in the flesh because this is just what the flesh does. But there's no place for this in the spirit. This is the very kind of thing that we're talking about here. When Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, always be with grace. So we're, we're not to revert to those kinds of things. Now, I saw a picture that really touched me uh, a couple days ago online. I saw a picture of the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Uh, I saw a picture of him with uh, two people beside him, Christians evidently, had hands laid on him, his head was bowed, and they were praying for him. Now, I don't know what was going on in his heart. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know if he was doing this just as a photo op or if he was doing it because, oh gosh, these Christian people want to pray for me. I don't know what, what was happening with him. But what I do know is that those Christians that laid hands on him and prayed for him, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about that we're supposed to do. You see, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be gentle and we're supposed to be courteous and we're supposed to pray and we're supposed to be respectful. And these, you see, these things are the things that make a difference. These are the things that people outside are looking in at and they're watching and they're evaluating and they're saying, you know, is Christianity real or not? Is it, is it an option for me? Is it something that I should think about? We know because of the current pandemic, we know lots of people are thinking about their mortality. They're thinking about things that they haven't thought of before. And inevitably that's gonna lead them to think about the possibility of God and the question then is, well, where am I going to find out about God? And if the church is all enraged and expressing anger and frustration and bitterness, then um, people aren't really going to be attracted 
uh, in this direction. So this is our posture to always be gracious. Let your speech always be with grace. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. What is, what is Paul talking about here? Well, I think, um, I think he's talking about what we sometimes uh, connect together as grace and truth. We can be uh, kind, we can be courteous, and we are to be. But we are also to speak the truth. And so I think when he says seasoned with salt, I think that he's probably referring to the idea of as we're speaking to people, we are, we're putting in that truth. But think for a second about what salt, in the, in the ancient mind, when people thought of salt, they, they thought of three things. In the modern mind, when we think of salt, we think of probably just one thing. We think of uh, something that we're gonna sprinkle on our food. Um, but in the ancient world, they thought of salt in three ways. Um, they thought of it as a flavor enhancer, which it always has been and still is today. They also thought of it as a, a preservant. And that's what it was probably most well known for in the ancient world is without modern refrigeration and things like this, how did they ever keep their meat from going bad, their fish from going bad? Well, they caked it all in salt and salt preserved it. Salt destroyed the bacteria and kept it. So uh, they were able to uh, you know, eat it at the desired time. And then the, the other thing, and this is true today as well, uh, salt creates thirst. So when Paul says that we are to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, I think probably all of those things come into the picture that our speech is to flavor, uh, create some flavor, create, uh, you know, when you, when you eat something, you know, when you eat something that's saltless, that's supposed to have salt on it, not everything's supposed to have salt, um, you know, it's very bland. And what do you want to do with it? You just want to set it aside and say, okay, I, I don't want any more of that. But you put a little salt on it and it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing, that's great. And so as we are conversing, as we are seeking to share the gospel, there are those places where we are seeking by the wisdom of God to put in those little flavorings, if you will, that are gonna perk people up and get them to be more curious about it. But then also there should be that preserving element that the things that we're speaking are actually uh, preserving the environment around us and the things that we're speaking are creating a thirst for more. So we, we might be telling somebody um, a story about Jesus. And as we're doing that, we're, we're wanting to pull them in and, and we're wanting them, you know, when, by the time we're done with the story, we're wanting them to say, no, no, don't keep going, keep going, tell us more. So I think those are the things that uh, Paul has in mind here. So season with salt. And then he says this. He says, knowing how to answer each one. And that's important. Knowing how to answer each one. You see, as we pray, as we walk in heavenly wisdom, as we speak graciously, this will bring about conversations and questions 
we'll be able to answer. There's a, that great passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, many people are familiar with it. Perhaps you know it as well. Uh, let me read it to you again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it from the NIV. Uh, but it says this, uh, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. So you see, as we are walking in wisdom and as we are being gracious, what's being, what Paul's implying here is this, all of this is gonna create in the minds of people questions. And as people observe us, as they see our demeanor, as they listen to our tone and those kind of things, they're gonna say, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you something. And as they do that, we then will know how to answer them. And as we are answering them, we are either planting a seed. In some cases, we're planting a seed. People have never heard any of this before. And, and now they've got a question, we're gonna answer it. We're planting a seed. In other cases, we're watering a seed that was planted. You know, they might say, well, so I heard this, but tell me a little bit more. Or so the seed's been already planted, so we're gonna water it. In some cases, people are gonna say something like, um, I, I, believe that, I believe the gospel is true. Uh, how can I personally experience the gospel? How can I come to know Jesus? And we answer the question. So you see, that's what we are to do. We are to know how to answer each one. And as we pray, and as we walk in wisdom, and as we are gracious, uh, we are going to know how to respond. So as we close today, let me just remind you, these are strategic times in history. We are living in strategic times. We're living in times like um, we have not known. Nobody in our generation has really known a time like this. Oh, we've seen civil unrest before. We've seen uh, racial conflict and division. We, we've seen all of that. Uh, but we have not seen it in the context of a pandemic. And so this is where it, it makes the whole, the whole thing is different. So it's a unique moment in time. It's a strategic moment where the church, and I've said this many times over the past six months, um, but it's a strategic time in history where the church has an opportunity to shine and show the beauty of Christ through the lives of the saints that are being conformed to his image. Now is one such time. This is like other times in the long history of the church, 2,000 years, there have been these key um, moments in church history where this was a moment where the church had an opportunity to really step up and really show the world uh, what Jesus is all about, what the gospel is all about. This is a time. And the question is, are we gonna miss it? Are we gonna squander it? Are we gonna blow it? Are we gonna let it pass us by? Or are we going to capitalize on it? Are we gonna seize the moment? And I think 
that if we, if we just took to heart the things that we're hearing in the passage that we're looking at today, if we, if we took these things to heart and we just seriously did this, we prayed and we, 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 we put much more effort into our prayer than into our public complaints over social media or our ranting you know, amongst our friends about the current situation. If we just dispensed with that and prayed, I guarantee that we would see a, a, a better outcome. If we prayed that God would open doors, pray for those who God has called to speak forth his word, pray that he would open unique doors, extraordinary doors, uh, doors that wouldn't otherwise be open, things that he would do things supernaturally, miraculously. Let's pray for those things. And then personally, individually, let's make sure we're walking in wisdom. And let's remember from James 3.17 what that wisdom looks like. This is the wisdom that we are to walk in toward the people that are outside. And we are to always be gracious in our speech. There's no place for this harsh rhetoric. There's no place for this um, shaming and, and verbal mocking and, and these kinds of things that are becoming so common among Christians. There's no place for this. And if we would dispense with this, we would see a great work of the Spirit in this time. I believe it. So let's not miss this moment by being prayerless, unfocused on the gospel, unwise and unkind, but rather let's pray, let's proclaim, let's be wise and gracious. And as we do that, we can in a sense stand still and see the glory of God. We're, we're gonna see God do something beautiful. I believe that. But the church, it's gotta start with us. We have all of the ingredients, so to speak. You know, we have everything to, to have um, a beautiful moment where the church shines. We, it's all here. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We're able to repent and be forgiven. And we're able to be empowered to, to move forward. We have it all. Let's not miss it. Let's not squander the moment. Let's take it to heart and let's be in our generation people who successfully transfer the gospel from the church to the culture. Lord, we pray that you would empower us to do that. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for being so short-sighted. We pray that you would forgive us for just getting swept up in all of the madness of the culture. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be men and women who pray, who trust you, who pray with thanksgiving for what you've done in the past and what you're gonna do in the days ahead. Lord, we wanna pray that you would open doors. You said you opened doors that no one could close. We pray, Lord, for an open door for the gospel. We pray for those who have been called and gifted to speak forth your word. Lord, we pray that each and every one who's been called would be able to do that, um, to make the gospel clear. And Lord, I pray for every believer 
who is called. We're all called to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And so help us to do that. Help us to understand what wisdom looks like. And Lord, for all of us, again, help us, Lord, to uh, have speech that's always gracious, that we would know how to answer when people ask the question, that we would know how to answer, that we would know how to steer even the question to the main thing, which is Jesus and the gospel. So Lord, these are the things we're praying. We pray that you would have mercy uh, on us. We pray that you would unite your church. We pray against all the division and the, the, the slander and all of those things that are happening. And, and God, we pray that in the midst of the, the brokenness of your church, that Lord, you would have mercy and you would pull us together and use us in these days. And again, Lord, we pray for many hearts to be softened. And Lord, we pray for the governor of California. We pray for the president. We pray for the people who are running for office. We pray for the people who are in office. Lord, every single one of these people are just that. They're people. They're human beings made in your image, people that you died for, people that you love, people that you want to see saved. And so in Jesus' name, we pray that you would work. Amen.